Welcome. I'm the Falcon of the West. And I'm the Prince of Precision. And we are the the Attack Attack Action Action Podcast. Podcast. What's up, Isaac? Tonight we are joined by uh, maybe the most famous person in at least United States flesh and blood. What do you think, Taylor? Yes, I am here always on this podcast. Thank <laughs> you for recognizing my fame. Totally. Well, your uh, stash and charming good looks are unforgettable. Um, tonight we're also going to talk to a guy named Brendan. Uh, Brendan who? Brendan Patrick. Oh, right. Yeah. The uh, second most famous uh, flesh and blood player. Some people call him the Falcon of the South, as it were. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, we sit down with good old BP, as I like to call him. uh, And we, uh, you know, dive deep on some certain topics and uh, have a bit of fun really at the end there, like we always do. Um, But, yeah, it was a great interview. He's a really interesting person to talk about. And I do mention this in the podcast, but if you are a avid listener of the Arsenal Pass podcast, there is a drinking game associated with anytime uh, they have any sort of content. So just so you know that it is alive and well on our podcast. So make sure you have something uh, nice and tasty while you're sitting down to listen to this one. Well, are you going to remind us of the rules or does everybody know the rules for this drinking game? Uh, yeah. So like if you drone of brutality, uh, control Ninja, Sasha, Markovic, you know, James White, you know, any Dante, any, Del Fico. Yeah. yeah, totally. Any of those things. Like, I don't think Brendan uses heuristic. That's probably on the list by now. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's about, that's, there's, that'll get you started. <laughs> Yeah, there's a number of hot hot button topics they like to touch on. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, yeah, we love those guys a lot, and uh, it's just great to have the second most famous uh, podcaster <laughs> on on our most famous podcast. You know, we're America's podcast. They're you know the people's podcast, as it were, type of deal. Totally. So. And and uh, stick around till the end because uh, Brendan's answer to the you know, interesting facts about himself are really good. Um, I also look forward to uh, seeing you, Taylor, and uh, Hayden and Brendan at Worlds coming up here and uh, defeating you all. <laughs> That's cool. I ha- somehow have to get a PTI or qualify off of ELO. Oh, so there's time. I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not stressed out. I'm not worried about it at all. We're going to get there. Um. Yeah, that'd be great. <clears throat> All right, now I, you've got me spiraled out of control here, Isaac. Let's get into the news. So, welcome to Wraith is now out of print, and uh, I don't think that's too surprising. Uh, everything's going out of print these days, and you know, once we know that Everfest is coming, and they're still printing all these old sets you just go like oh right logistically that must be like extremely tough right nobody prints like 
12 sets of a card game uh, at the same time. You know, that's just probably got to be too hard to get that everywhere. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. It has to be like, it still has to be profitable at all times for them to print it, right? Or at least right. breaking yeah. even. Like, once there's enough singles of all the cards out there, and uh, you know, casual people drafting the boxes or whatever, it's you know, this was bound to happen. It, it kind of caused a little bit more of a uh, an uproar or like a debate than I expected, really, because uh, to me, this is really no surprise. And um, you know, as nostalgically <laughs> sad it is, is it is to you know see it go for some people. It's just like you can't just forever print something that uh, you know people aren't going to buy forever i think yeah totally and especially when you're like well i need most of the cards from the newest set i'll just buy singles that fit into the decks for my uh you know my old time deck i'll just get the singles rather than get a whole box or right. multiple cases of welcome to wraith you know and um i am surprised that you were surprised that the internet is upset about some sort of news, right? People That's true. Like, they are always in an uproar. They're always upset. Like, I can't believe everything is not how I want it to be at all times. Rabble, rabble. Rabble, yeah. Okay. We can't go down that uh, rabbit hole too much because then we'll just sound like Outcast Haven. Um, we, we do not want to do that. Oh, rabble, rabbling. Well, just complaining about people complaining, you oh, know. Fair enough. Nice. That's their haven thing. Yeah, that's their thing. I don't want to take that away from them. But we do get to do a kind of farewell tour uh, with Welcome to Wraith, and it's quite a bit interesting. Um, there's a player cap to these events, and they're for the first time ever, I think, giving out young cold foil heroes from Welcome to Wraith. So uh, there's a player cap, really rare cards. Um, this could be kind of like a really hot commodity, right? And there isn't a, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, suggested price for what this should cost. Right, so so the local game stores can kind of set their own price, which is kind of uh, it's just kind of wild. Yeah, I did see that, and I think it's a sixteen-player cap, kind of no matter yeah. what the demand is for that store, mm -hmm. which is kind of really surprising. Um, something to remember about these promos is that uh, the cold foil young heroes. I feel like LSS has done a really good job about kind of limiting the print runs of cards like this to keep them rare. But they're, as with all of these promos, they can reprint them. So while I think yeah. that these will have value and they will kind of maintain their rarity, it's like, don't break the bank, you know, trying to get one of these because they could appear again in the future. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm pretty excited to get to do some welcome to Wraith draft. I think that's going to be really fun. Um, it's a really, really interesting set to play and draft. Um, Cause there's like so many more, I don't know, kind of cards to maybe worry about, right? There's so many more attack reactions and defense reactions and um, 
Yeah, it's like a lot. It's a lot more mid rangey than tails. Yeah. You know, for example, right? Like, uh, I mean, one or two mistakes can still dictate the game, but it's uh, you know, a little bit longer of a a game. You kind of kind of have these minute exchanges instead of just like, is this the tempo turn? Do I take ten to like seize the day, or yeah. do I just die here? Yeah, and you and you have equipment that blocks. So you can really kind of manufacture a real pivot turn in these like little 20 health games. Yeah, it's going to be really, really exciting. Um, I'm going to give away a little bit of my secret tech. I've already thought about how to uh, shark our event if we get one. But I remember um, part of the drinking game for Arsenal Pass is whenever Brendan talks about Yellow Bellow as a Welcome to Wraith drafting archetype. Nice. Um, that will be one I'm looking for in this draft is see if we can get that, that to happen, baby. And yeah, if you I don't know that what that is, is, go listen to old Arsenal past podcasts. Yeah. Just start from the beginning and start fishing for it. <laughs> yep. Totally. I, I did think that that was a pretty cool archetype because I had not, I mean, like we didn't play a lot of like welcome to Wraith limited and yeah. uh, enough to develop archetypes um, in our isolated COVID uh, you know, lockdown. So, uh, <laughs> right. I thought that was a pretty cool archetype to learn about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think this, like all controversy aside or like the limited player cap and all that, it is pretty fun to have a send off event for a set, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely think so. I think it's a really cool set. It's a, it's just a really cool limited environment because of, how i don't know basic feels like the wrong term but that's just kind of how it feels a little bit right totally i mean that doesn't mean it's easier right it just means it's uh it's kind of the game i like a little bit better right like i really love the mid-range exchange calculation you know yeah hour-long cc games (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and if you pull like the ninja or guardian legendary, right? Like you're like, that's pretty huge. You know what I mean? Those are like crazy impactful. Those are pretty low odds, but yep. Yeah, totally. They are. But could you just imagine that if you had a mask of momentum? Totally insane, right? That was actually my first thought. I was like, I can't believe Ninja was underplayed. Ninja's brutal. And then I was like, oh, yeah, no mask. That, right, that makes yeah. it harder. Kadachis yeah. are still mean, but. Totally. Uh, okay. Anyway, you got anything you want to talk about before we get to our interview with. Uh... Oh, right. You have some. Oh, uh, yeah. So also uh, New Zealand and Australian nationals have been uh, scheduled. So congratulations on ending your uh, very long lockdown. And I'm glad that. We will uh, get to see those overseas. Also, it's like it's very important to me because we had this like three week long, month long, uh, very condensed meta mm-hmm. development in this game. Like Aria was released, and then we had this very condensed season, and then it's like nothing before, nothing after. So I'm like really, really interested to see these two national events um, after we've kind of seen a bunch of top decks uh displayed 
and then given a uh, a bunch of these really good players time to you know kind of adapt yeah. and like develop their own strategy so i think it this could be a really interesting um couple tournaments to observe in terms of like you know I, it's it's only two tournaments you know it's not a ton of players but it's just like uh i, I feel like will be a very interesting you know it'll just be good to see the tales meta you know developed yeah. into the next next chapter yeah take another step to where right theoretically we all believe it to be where right. it should be at right that like lightning briars uh i mean i'll go to my grave saying it's extremely targeted targetable right deck right you know yeah extremely uh, powerful extremely good and uh extremely targetable yeah totally so to i think see, the trick though is like that beating change, right to see that there are some decks that are going to be targeting that and etc totally I think the trick though, right, is like, like lightning briar is really good because it like annihilates every deck that doesn't target it. Right. So, uh, it's like one thing to beat lightning briar, but beating lightning briar and also, you know, like Oldheim and Visrai and ice Lexi or, you know, like whatever the top tier decks are, I think is the real trick. It's not just, it's like, you can beat lightning briar, but beating, the majority of the field I think is extraordinarily difficult probably. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's all very exciting. Yeah. And plus, you know, they all have a draft component to it too. So we'll get to see um, maybe if there's any movement in that format as well, or see some players, you know, six Oh, their uh, draft pods or, or, or whatever, you know, another component to add to the grand machine that is the national championship. Yep. You you like that? Sorry, you just smirked. We have our videos on, but uh, <laughs> our remote. No, so. I was just I was just enjoying your, you know, your description. My poetry. Oh, yeah. See, I still got it. Poetry, better word than description. All right. Uh we're getting a little uh loopy here. Like we always do, that's what you're here for, is these types of silly moments that we continually come up with. But uh, enjoy this great interview with BP, Brendan Patrick, half of Arsenal Pass. It's really fun. And, oh, right, before we get out of here, I forgot to plug our socials and all of that crap. Um, We will have a reaction step episode this month. Um, so look for that mm, sometime next week by the time you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we will be talking about our kind of year in review, the three of us, me, Isaac, and Colin. So we'll be ta- we'll be taking a look back at this year in flesh and blood, pretty monumental for the three of us um, and that sort of thing. And then at the end of December, but before Christmas, we are toying with the idea of doing a live on YouTube podcast where we answer your questions live and get to interact with the chat and that sort of thing. So if that is something that you are interested in participating in, leave a comment below in this YouTube uh, video if you're listening there or 
uh, slide into our DMs on Twitter. I'm at BattleBroTaylor and Isaac's at BattleBroIsaac. Um, I feel like those are kind of outdated, stupid handles now, and we should change those. <laughs> it's, it's already a brand, though. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, you could uh, let us know if, if you would like to participate in a in a live podcast. Um, that would Tell be we'll, yeah. Go ahead. We'll just be doing some sort of special holiday podcast, like probably a live YouTube video, or you know, some sort of fireside chat or something like that. Um, uh, is that it? Just all of our plugs. Where you know. Instagram attack action podcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We have a, a Patreon, um, patreon.com slash attack action podcast. If you enjoy the content we produce for the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can uh, support us and also hang out in our discord with us, play pickup games, play our bi-monthly uh, tournament. Um, you know, there's like prizes as the tier go- tiers go up, play mats, and the like. Um, but I'm going to sell the Discord really good right now. The 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 Patreon is you will get access to our monthly Discord social. So what's going to happen there? So you get to hang out with us. You get to hang out with uh, Thor Mike, aka newly married Radiant Mike. You're getting to hang out with Colin, the People's Champion of former podcast interview fame now reaction step 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 fame you get to hang out with mike popovich who is the cocktail master and he specifically makes a new cocktail every month for the discord social so this month we're having old heim's milk which i think is some sort of eggnog rum concoction i'll have to relook at it but that's what we'll be drinking and you don't want to miss out on these types of things it's just too it's just too fun that's a star-studded cast there and um i really want to be spending my holiday season sipping the milk of old time so you know that's uh you you have that stuff to look forward to I think that's about does it. Are you looking up the recipe? Is that what you're doing, Isaac? I can. Uh, I was going to, but he's, he showed a picture. It looks really good. Um, yeah. Totally. We're also uh, partnered with Fab Foundry um, on its journey is incredible. His store is brick and mortar and, uh, you know, just a monumental success online. Uh, if you need any singles, single cardboard cards, not single people, um, use our affiliate link in the show notes and it will help support us and him and uh, everybody wins. Hell yeah. That's what we're all about. Double wins, not those double losses, (laughs) double wins, no ties. Okay. Let's get the hell out of here. uh, And we'll see you in the interview. All right. Enjoy everybody. Okay, here we are. Interview time. Isaac, what's going on? We're here with what I like to call him as BP. Isaac, BP, what's going on? This is a terrible start, but it's fine. Here we go. I'm going to just restart it. Nope, just go. (laughs) Just go. Uh, Okay, Brendan has been in this game since the beginning and has grown to be one of the most prominent 
professional players today. He has also partnered with Hayden Dale to develop uh, one of the most prominent, probably the most successful podcast in the game. Both of those are huge achievements, and you guys are a whirlwind of phenomenal content production. So I could see if you would not want to spend any extra time uh, talking on air. So we're very uh, appreciative to have you here with us today. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you. So, hello, everyone. I am Brendan Patrick, also known as the Falcon of the South. But I will note that the Attack Action podcast was on our radar pretty early, actually. And I think it was the first podcast we ever shouted out because um, I remember you guys did a podcast on deck building that we shouted out. And it was probably one of the best audio resources out there. So, been a fan of the podcast for a while. Obviously, had the pleasure of meeting the beautiful people that are the hosts of this podcast in person and had a had a delightful time so more than happy to come on the podcast and just just chat with you guys thanks yeah we really appreciate it and uh yeah that episode is still our best i think performing episode to this day so it's episode yeah, 21 that, if for some reason the pass bump is a, a pretty big deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so yeah, Brendan, we got to hang out at Vegas, um, and that was just like not that long ago, but it feels feels like, like uh, multiple years. Like that's fab time, right? <laughs> yeah, like in totally. The, in the whirlwind of this, what was the constructed season? I mean, I felt like every weekend I was waking up in a new city. It was wild, but yeah, it feels like forever ago. But honestly, it wasn't. You know, in reality, it wasn't too long ago, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the biggest bummer and probably the biggest regret I had during this competitive season was I didn't get to see more Taylor Morrow come out. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the all the other callings jammed in in whatever October is just really tough um, time in the semester. And if you can tell, my voice is a little a little scratchy. I coach high school basketball, so that season has started, and that has a uh, been insane uh my life is just a little little crazy for these two these uh this week that just happened and this next week so hopefully lss bumps that competitive season like a little earlier uh or lets <laughs> us know earlier so i can just <laughs> my life to go to more yeah, events to accommodate your high school coaching job yeah exactly yeah i'm a cornerstone of this community Okay, we're like the uh, godfathers of flesh and blood podcasting, basically, Isaac. So I would. Um, have you ever seen that movie with Will Ferrell kicking and screaming? Oh yeah, totally. I feel like that's you on the basketball court. No, I'm like maybe, but if you add in a little Ted Lasso in there, also, there you know, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. You know. Just I like to... you more. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start off with some hard-hitting questions, Brendan. So the people at home want to know uh, what's the brand of pomade you use on your hair? Oh, yeah. So I actually I don't use any pomade. What I do is I don't shower for weeks and sometimes months on end, and all that grease will kind of coagulate in your hair. Um, and then when you wake up, you can just run your hands through it up top, you might have to wash your hands after, but your hair just sticks up and it looks fantastic. Nice. That's a, a true uh, fashion tip there. Great. 
Um, okay, so also we ask everybody this, like, so what's your favorite hero and archetype? So you're a professed uh, meta slave, but is there an actual archetype that you enjoy or one hero that you enjoy more than the other ones? Right, like when you just playing for fun, you know, like which hero do you have the most fun playing as? Um, yeah, so I have the most fun playing Kano uh, by far, and nothing else really comes too close. I would say that Chain versus Fatigue came a bit close to that. I really like the Fatigue matchup, um, and I felt I felt like it was very rewarding to play ultimately in the end. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really a really big Kano fan. That's my fun deck. That's the deck that I'm kind of hoping gets upgraded in Everfest and then I can play more. I hesitate to kind of say Wizard in general because, I mean, right now Kano is just, that all that, that is all Wizard is, right? So I don't know how much the class would change if a different hero came in because you think about what Kano's ability does and it's pretty cornerstone to most of the stuff you're doing with that deck. But um, yeah, Kano's definitely my, my pet deck, the one that I always go back to and the one that I play for fun. And in terms of archetypes, let me attack that. So in terms of archetypes, I um, myself and this guy, Sasha Markovic, went to the New Zealand Constructed Calling back in 2020, the first one, and we developed the Ninja Turtle archetype with Dread of Vitality. So it was kind of the first true attrition archetype um, and kind of what's loosely correlated to what we see today as Fatigue. So Fatigue existed before that deck was created. There was like Bravo Fatigue. Um, and I think that was really it in that format, maybe kind of like a Reiner fatigue, like it was a bit of a DK, but the true attrition strategy that abused your own brutality, that was, uh, Sasha myself. And yeah, I would say that that was for a while, that was my favorite archetype, but as I played the game more, I, there is nothing I despise more than attrition and fatigue in this game. And <laughs> I wish it never worked, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it's a good strategy. Um, but I definitely found myself gravitating. For fun, more towards mid-range, and um, if every deck could feel like chain versus fatigue in those kind of endgame scenarios where you, from the very first turn of the game, you're setting up this endgame inevitability and you just have all the control and it's up to your opponent to kind of do something about it, um, that's definitely, I don't know if you could name that archetype, but that's my favorite archetype. I like, to, I like decks that make you think a lot and then reward you for thinking correctly. Totally. I would call that like, uh, it's not really a combo deck, but it's kind of the spirit of a combo deck in that way. Yeah. You know? Like you, it's like you, you have to do something on this turn, but you're setting up for like bigger turns later. So, you know, Reiner or Lakaya or like chain end game, that, you know, you're still, you're like calculating for the whole game the whole time. You know, I yeah. would say, whereas you're, whereas, you know, just aggro, you're just, kind of playing out this hand and maybe saving an arsenal or like feed if you're doing the opposite. But yeah, I agree. Those flexible decks where you uh, kind of adapt and build. Yeah. So combo is just kind of a scary word for me in this game because there's probably nothing I despise more than uh, Saber Bolton. (laughs) 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 And that's definitely a combo deck. And uh, that's not me. Not that one. You know, Uh, I don't, I I have a hard time. So for me, I would define combo as like not a combo, right? That that's like a really linear game plan. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just try to get enough in soul, blah blah blah, and then you just have like 
a couple of cards you need to like go off. Like it's kind of the same thing in Sonata OTK Viscerai. Um, you know, it, it's just like one play you're trying to do. So it doesn't even really feel like a combo. You know what I mean? Like I think of combo as like in like a street fighter game, you're like trying to string together, you know, yeah, there's, know, there's, some, finesse, some there's finesse plays. to it, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I would, I would argue that like uh, Sonata Viscerai kind of borders on that um, in the sense because if you do play Sonata Viscerai, um, usually by the time you're Sonating, if you're playing something like Defense Reacts, by that time that you're going to be Sonating later in the game, obviously you can get lucky and do it earlier. Uh, you actually might have just pitched your deck completely, so you can make your Sonata perfect which is yeah. nice, and then also have the tools within that Sonata to kind of finish off the turn, which the, the OT, the act, not the OTK, but the Viscerai deck that currently exists, like the combo-esque one that also morphs into like a you know an aggressive mid-range yeah. deck, is I think that that's probably the most complicated the deck in the format right now, where you can play Agreed. it in a, yeah. yeah, you can play it in kind of like an easy way, and just try to like, you know, combo people and block them out all the time, but the the depth that you can take that deck is incredible. And I, I, I mean, I've said this, <laughs> I've said this a few times on um, some of our stuff is that I do think that that is the best deck in the format right now. And yeah. it's not very close. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. As I've been, as you like to say, dirtling around with Viscerai kind of on the periphery here, uh, not being in any real competitive events. And just the addition of spellbound creepers like opens up so many like lines of play and like i feel like every fifth game i play or something there's a new uh creepers line that i haven't really thought of before but like presents itself and it's uh it's just really dynamic yeah, there's, there's compounding decision trees there, especially yeah. with like the Sonata and the Scalata, and then you have the Rattlebones as well, recurring mm -hmm. from the graveyard. Yeah. Um, and then just like how you're absorbing those rune chants to reduce the cost while also playing out your attacks in the correct sequence. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool deck that rewards practice and kind of tight play. And it's also like there's a few decks in, in Flesh and Blood, I think, that allow for creativity. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not really that common, right? Like it'll feel like that kind of in the beginning with like a lot of decks, but eventually they start, you know, some of the lines start to become very clear and they're sort of proceduralized. And then there's some mm -hmm. decks where, you know, you can be a couple hundred games in and you'll find some lines that you've never seen before. And you're just like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I also want to quickly note too, that the Arsenal pass drinking game, is an effect on this podcast so if you are aware you know you've had your your couple of drinks we hit drone sasha markovic the calling in new zealand we've hit all the all the the uh points in that game so just just so everybody knows moving forward okay go ahead isaac um oh i think i was just thinking like uh i totally agree with you and i one of my least favorite things in this game is when like a, a consistency deck kind of reigns supreme, right? So mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe maybe like Dash a year ago, right? And you know, now we know and wonder why like you know, Claus Reinar annihilates that deck and why more people weren't playing it, so there was an answer. But you know, when it when the deck is just like super, super linear and super efficient and that is the best 
best deck. Um, you know, I uh, I don't like to see that, and sometimes I don't think the game's in the healthiest of places. But on the flip side, it's really rewarding to play uh, a deck where you're able to be flexible and attack different decks in different ways and like overcome a deck like that. Yeah, and like, that, like it's a fine line too, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's a fine line is decks that can adapt like that. We've seen it in the past where decks that are too adaptive um, end up being, you know, a problem. Like Chain was just better than everything. And it wasn't right. like 100% had over 50 and everything. If you were, you know, attacked the right way and practiced for certain matchups, I think there was over 50 and everything. But um, yeah, it's like, and to speak a little bit about the Reinar too. So back in those days, the issue with Reinar and it, it like, obviously it had just gotten Arg Smash. I mean, it, it was probably clear to quite a few people that it could attack Dash, but um, a lot of people are coming out of Arcane Rising, and I guess to a lesser extent, Welcome to Wraith, where Dorinthia was really, really popular and really powerful. So there was like this lasting effect where Dorinthia was still very much around in the Crucible of War format, and Dorinthia was not a super easy matchup for Reinar. And then, um, from what I understand, an even worse matchup was the Agrikatsu, but Agrikatsu was just really underplayed altogether right because agrikatsu was also very very good into the the dash control shell so but crucible was interesting right that was that was like peak almost peak covid season um there was just not a lot of people playing in the world quite yet and it was mostly uh just new zealand and australia from what i understand yeah totally i mean uh yeah you i mean you can see how different the game is and now with like North America having like a competitive scene and you know people's different uh, thoughts about what decks are good and that sort of thing uh, prism for for one of those you know um, and that might be one of the like things in this podcast is I think we agree on like a lot of stuff you know like your your whole point about uh, sure chain versus fatigue like i don't get to talk to isaac about that stuff a lot of times because he's like a diehard ranger fan you know so he's just like ah i never have a weapon it sucks you know i don't have any armor rah. and i'm just like yeah dude in in game stuff against bravo fatigue with chain yeah taylor's pretty, like pretty cool armor's, armor's not actually that impactful it's fine not having armor <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, I got a question for you. Um, so, speaking of competitive seasons, is it hard for you guys producing your podcast to uh, maybe accurately cover and deliver the news while keeping your own personal development and trade secrets uh, secret to maintain yeah. an edge? Yeah, so, well, I have, like, two answers to this. So there's, like, is it hard because... Um, like a lot, I think a lot of people overplay like it being difficult because like we're traveling a lot and it's just inconvenient and you know we always have to get it out in the same time every week. That's honestly not so bad with the correct kind of planning. It's it's definitely super possible and it just it becomes pretty easy to be honest. But yes, what you're saying is very hard, and the reason it's so hard is because a lot of the time it actually isn't trade secrets. Sometimes we just don't have it, and like that's what people <laughs> don't understand. Um, and like we've actually gotten some flack for that where we just sometimes we just don't have the deck um for the format which really wasn't true until tales of aria but in tales of aria like we just like 
as a kind of a, a testing group, and by the way, the testing group is not affiliated with the brand, which makes it even harder. Um, like we just kind of failed in the deck building stage in terms of like innovating enough. And we just didn't, we just didn't really have the best deck, which was kind of just lightning briar going into those, those things. We knew about it. We had played it, but we still were, we were hyper-focusing on some other things that were, you know, probably not the best uses of our time. And sometimes that's just going to happen, right? Like we have an, we have an unusual testing schedule where we are testing every single day for multiple hours a day. Um, but even with that, sometimes we don't, we aren't able to break the meta every single, every single week. And um, I think a lot of people expect us to, and then when we don't, they think that we're actively, you know, lying. And this is obviously a very small subset of people, but it's, it's a hard, it's a hard kind of um, outcome to balance, right? Because there, there have been, there have been some trade secrets. Like we had chain into fatigue and we're heading into road to nationals and we knew we could all instantly scoop our invites then yeah, we delayed talking about fatigue just being the inevitable strategy because the community thought that, that that fatigue was the best strategy. The chain could not beat it. So it was completely backwards. So I was like, okay, this is very easy for us to just get these invites and then everybody else, like, we'll talk about it after. And it's it's a tougher situation too because I mentioned it a second ago is that the testing group is not associated with the brand. So um, you know there is some sort of information integrity that we have to have with those people that spend those immense amount of hours with us every single morning to not, you know, ruin some things for them. But it's something that I do want to improve upon as we move forward. And we've been trying to, is just being as open as possible. And I think that we have, um, you know, we have achieved that, but sometimes we just don't have it. And some people just think, when well, we don't have it. We're holding it back. Uh, well, a couple of points to that. It's funny too, because, uh, I was like screaming on the air about how fatigue doesn't work. You guys need a new strategy against change. This was after Taylor had his uh, his invite already. But um, uh, also, so after you top aided at the ProQuest with that uh, that hybrid or you know, heroic or whatever Briar mm-hmm. deck, Taylor and I played with that deck, and I was like, "Holy fuck, this deck's like a nightmare. This is really, really good. Um, you know, maybe not perfect, but I was actually more afraid of that deck than like Lightning Briar, just because it seems more resilient." And, uh, yeah. so anyway, that like, I mean, I know you didn't keep that a secret or whatever, but like the development of that deck seemed like, to me, that seemed like the best deck in the meta, but because nobody was targeting Lightning Briar yet, uh, you know, it was not represented, I guess. Or maybe Lightning Briar has a slightly better matchup into that, but yeah, to me, that, that deck's like more resilient and stronger. It's just like maybe loses the, the face to face match. Yeah, so the way the development of that deck worked is it was one of our players' pet decks, and then right before the event, we kind of uh, picked it up, started tuning it as a group for like a couple days, and then we went into the limited calling. So we went into the limited calling. Um, I bubbled out a top eight, and so did two other players, Dante and Zach. And now I remember I was at the casino with Zach, and like I was like thinking about getting a little drunk, and I had obviously had to wake up very early for the pro quest want to play, and I just like didn't want to play. I was like, oh god, because you know winning constructed pro uh, pro quests are just terrible and to an extent because you have to you have to get up very early, and then you have you to go to like not yeah yeah well it's actually like nine zero to get anything right, mm-hmm. and um, it's going to take like nine to ten hours as well, so yeah it's a grind. So I was really considering it, and then me and Zach were talking, and we're like, ah, we just have to. You know, this is what we do is we have a responsibility to compete in this. So we wake up early in the morning. 
I just throw together my 60 cards. I wrote my deck list at the event, which I never do. I'm a big prepare before kind of guy. Deck list at the event, played the event, and was just destroying everyone um, because that deck did destroy everything in the meta, which was okay. And it was kind of a meme deck. Like, it was 60 cards. I literally only yeah. played 60 cards it, the entire day. It was so funny putting that list together. I was like, oh, it's just math. It's 60 cards. It's 20 blues, 20 earth cards. 30 non-attacks, 30 attacks. There's like no, there was like no, uh, I don't know, artistry to the list or anything like that. You know yeah, what was, I mean? It was pretty straightforward. And then yeah. what happened is like, you know, I lost to chain and then um, like, oh, sweet. So the main reason we play this deck was just to like mess around and see if it worked and it works, right? But then we see the other lightning deck there and uh that version looked okay, but we tried it out. We swapped a few things, um, mostly towards more towards a zero cost shell. And like, yeah, we're like, okay, uh, Earthbriar still is very good against everything in the format except this deck, which it's not good into. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, it top aided whatever Earthbriar top aided as well. Maybe we won't see the mass adoption of Lightning Briar, and then obviously it sees some performances later, um, most notably New UK Nationals. And then, right. you know, Earthbriar is effectively just kind of dead in the water for the meta. If, you know, half, statistically, half of your matches are supposed to be Briar, um, Lightning Briar. Right. Yeah. Then the, the Earthbriar deck has a really tough time. Um, I did uh, want to kind of go back to your testing group uh, for a little bit and a few, few questions there. Is it, how tough is it? Because you guys are all in different countries, different time zones. So how hard is that coordinating, not just like the time zones, but coordinating like, uh, okay, Brendan has his uh, event this week and then Dante has his this week and then the New Zealand guys or the Australian guys have the, the, this month or whatever. So you really have to kind of like uh, kind of plan for all of that to make chat uh adjustments so uh kind of speak about the logistical hula hoops you guys have to go through for all that stuff yeah so for me it starts at 6 a.m which means i have to wake up at 5 30 in the morning and luckily none of us are on the um the west coast because then it'll be a bit buff the reason we chose that time so it's either it's either going to be really early for the americans or really late for new zealand or you know really early for new zealand australia but um, and late for us, vice versa. What's the worst part about it, to be honest, because it, it's pretty reasonable. Like, obviously, your your life changes to accommodate it. Like, you start going to sleep early, waking up at 530 every day. You get used to that. I'm not going to pretend like that's actually very hard. But uh, the hardest thing for us is actually daylight savings time. Because, mm -hmm. like, you can start accumulating this uh, bigger differential in time, and it really screws things up. So, like, right now... Um, the current testing is actually tiered, or it used to be all together at the same time. But now um, our New Zealand Australia players, Australian players play for two hours before. Then they meet the Americans as we log on, and we all talk about what was accomplished and what goals and what stuff we need to still mm -hmm. test and figure out. And then we move forward with it. And then it's obviously it's all recorded on paper and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's like the, the little things like daylight saving times are really the stuff that's kind of screw you. Yeah, and so like the the kind of staggered uh, event schedule that doesn't uh, 
How does that so, play into it? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because it makes it easy to put certain people on certain roles, right? Like mm-hmm. when we had the the calling season, it was really easy to put our um, Australian New Zealand players on the gauntlet decks. Mm-hmm. So a gauntlet deck is basically just a curated deck that's supposed to represent the meta that we're not necessarily interested in pursuing the development of or playing. So, you know, we would just throw them in that and then we would play the decks that we're actually, you know, trying to innovate on and play. And that makes that really easy because you don't have to really pick. It's not like we're all Americans and it's like, okay, Dante or North Americans, Dante's on Bravo today when Dante's not playing Bravo. Mm -hmm. So that it's actually helpful in that sense. Um, And luckily, just the way the events have played out, we've been able to kind of, you know, pass that baton back and forth and just swap it over. But yeah, I would say ultimately the events have actually played into our favor kind of the stagnation of them so far Mm -hmm. yeah because that's one of the things we run into in our group is that like you know we try to give everybody the best uh person on the deck that they need right um but it's like you know if you're not that great at playing katsu but you need somebody needs some reps on katsu it's like you know that's one of the things that's tough for uh, for us is fitting in because we're all like West coasters. Yeah. Um, and in America too. So, um, yeah, sometimes getting those quality, like you have this deck you think might beat this thing, but somebody else has got to get off their deck that they're trying to develop and that sort of thing. And it's for sure. all for the same event. So, cause if you're yeah. playing like, so if we go back to like Monarch, if I'm playing chain and Dante is playing chain, and then we're like, okay, we need to test us into fatigue in the prism. If I play prism and I play fatigue, it's legitimately a, a, a total waste of time for me, which is worth it sometimes because it's it's beneficial to my teammate. But right. it is like if it's a you know if it's a deck that has like a particular strategy that is kind of the same every time, and you understand how to do it, and you just need it to be there so that you can practice against it. The yeah. person who's piloting at that is effectively kind of wasting their time to an extent, right? There's a there's definitely a portion of that where you're helping a teammate, and that's why you do it. But if you can have multiple players that don't have the same event that can play those decks and not suffer, um, you know, some sort of opportunity cost when they go to play their own event, it's actually quite ideal. Yeah, that's a really good point because we've also run into right, like if I'm playing Leviathan and the Taylor's chain. It's like really educational for me, but Taylor doesn't give a shit. You know, he's not gonna play the coming up. And uh lo and behold, then I do play you. So good thing we tested it. Didn't help you. I think I beat you twice in a row before that event, and then you beat me round two in that event. It's like, oh great, you know. Just win when it matters. When it matters. <laughs> but uh anyway, I was also gonna ask, uh, and I know this could be a simple answer like Um, so now that the game is quite a bit bigger and, you know, they're like, there's a lot of good players out there. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have your testing group, right. And like, you know, Tyler Horsepool has his testing group. Right. So how do you guys, how do you try to find an edge when you're, uh, or is it just the science of attacking? Um, so it's mostly the. The process, right? Like I try to beat everybody on discipline and work and take talent completely out of it. Well, I think that our group is populated by a lot of extremely talented players. Um, one thing that I think is the most important and the role that I've tried to take up and try to try to fulfill is 
curating a schedule that everybody sticks to that um, is extremely rigid. And, you know, luckily we, we don't really have to like punish anybody because <laughs> nobody breaks it and everybody's very motivated, but there is a, um, there's definitely an understanding that this is what you do and you do show up every single day and that we are here to work and accomplish something. Like obviously we have fun as well, but um, a lot of us are taking time out of our sleep schedules, taking time out of, you know, you know, our days and our love, you know, hanging out with our loved ones. So it's a sacrifice, like playing, playing flesh and blood is fun, but playing it, um, you know, every day and sometimes in the days you don't want to do it is like, um, it's not fun sometimes, but those are the most important days. Any day that I, in my mind, any day that you wake up and you don't want to do it, that's the day that you have to do it or it's the most important. So yeah, it's interesting, but I, I want, for me, it's our group's edge is discipline, right? And, and work rate. And that's, I think that we can keep that up and trust the process. I think that's a pretty admirable, uh, discipline because like I run into when we're playing, like when, anytime I'm not in a tournament, I'm interested in like exploring different lines, right? Or I like, I don't care about winning so much, mm -hmm. but when you're play testing for your group or for your partners, I feel like you have to, like, you can't get creative, right? Like you have to stay or play super disciplined and play to win or like show up with your A game or at least your B game every time. Um, just to like, you know, create that, uh, that situation for them to win. Yeah. I think that like we, people definitely do get creative and the def, we definitely do goof off and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I think it's just important that we always take the first step every, every day, which is just being there and then just focusing on our goals and what we're trying to actually solve. Cause if we're just showing up and testing, um, then we're doing the wrong thing. We've had that conversation multiple times in our group that we're here to accomplish like set goals, right? We're not here to just play for no reason. And then the reason that we show up every day is to build that habit and build that discipline and try to just, you know, get in those 10,000 hours to become a master as they say. Uh, but yeah, like I, I honestly, that's the part that I take the most pride in is that we've been able to curate a group that uh, just keeps their stuff together. And we all have really like I think uh, goal congruity is really important. I think we all have similar goals and we're all willing to work um, a similar amount to get there. Mm. Nice. That's awesome. Um, do you, so, so what is it about like, well, why flesh and blood for you? Like, uh, were, were you like, Oh, this is a new game. I'm a competitive person. I could, uh, be really good at this. I think, or I would like to be really good at this, but, but why, right? Like why, why flesh and blood? Why do you want to be really good at it? Et cetera. You know? Yeah. I've had this like weird tendency throughout my entire life to just find things and just obsess over them <laughs> to like an extreme detriment to the rest of my life. Right. When I was younger, it was like video games. Sometimes it was other things. Um, but I just tend to like hyper-focus on one thing and then I'll be, I'll get, really excited, really passionate about this one thing. And then a lot of things will fall away. Right. I definitely have struggled with balance in the past, <laughs> but a uh, flesh and blood was similar. Right. I saw the game. I had been playing a little bit of magic. I was at an F and M draft. It like wasn't firing. Um, and then at my local game store, they just had this new game and I was like, ah, looks cool. 
bought all of the starter decks and then we started playing and then i just made my partner at the time play with me just like you know as much as possible i really liked the game and then i was just buying tons of product and went out to the first tournament and yeah i don't know like i definitely made an effort to kind of get to know james and get to know sasha and i think that that was probably you know aside from me being you know completely obsessed with the game playing a lot and being determined to get better uh, networking with the correct people took me very far, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I was able to go to New Zealand. Um, you know, I was testing with Sasha. I had the best, you know, the best at that time, the best teammate in the world to test with. And I was this, I, I was this dude who had just. This was my first. This is effectively my first card game. The uh, the calling in Austin was my first card tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's similar to to us. Flesh and Blood is really the first thing we've. Um, really dove into in terms of like trying to be good uh, at something that isn't like a traditional sport or something like that, you know? Yeah. And there's like, there's the question you asked you is like, why flesh and blood? Yeah. I mean, there's the, there's like the answer that I think that we all have, which is like the game is just incredible. Right. Um, But outside of that, the people are, are really unique in this game. Um, and maybe that's because I was able to get in early and there wasn't a lot of us out there and pretty much everybody that was in it back then was just really passionate about it because it was pretty small. But even nowadays, like the, the relationships I've made and the people I've met and just the things I've done too. Like I went to New Zealand, which is something I probably may have never done in my entire life. Um, if I hadn't you know, been able to go there for flesh and blood and then I've been traveling over the U.S., meeting all these new friends and just all these new relationships. It's been, it's been so much more than a card game for me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel that like, um, you know, we're about to record our next episode of the reaction step and we're doing, you know, spoilers or not spoilers, but, uh, a sweet preview. Um, look back, you know, give our like year in review and that sort of thing. And that's one of the biggest takeaways for me, and the one of the biggest motivators as well is just like, you know, I got to meet you. Like, I consider Hayden one of my friends now too. Like, our buddy Colin is like now one of my uh, best friends. I got a friend for life and that sort of thing. And uh, it's just, you know, I'm excited for the next Road to Nat season to like go see everybody who I met during the first road to Nat season, all those like cool Bay area uh, folks and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, just beyond uh, crushing everybody and winning road to Nats. It's a, it's, it's about those relationships as well, for sure. So, yeah. Um, excellent. Excellent. Uh, Isaac, you look like you have something to say. Oh, uh, sure. I have plenty to say. <laughs> didn't have anything on deck though um and i agree for like for us it's been a really wild ride because this particular year year in review has gone from like this game's pretty fun to play with our friends you know to like competing at like high level tournaments um, let's uh top eight which, at nationals yeah <laughs> yeah which is like you know something that we uh uh probably did not see coming last october when we were like you know, opening first edition monsters and, <laughs> and you know, yeah. the game. So yeah. uh, it has been 
pretty pretty fun ride. I can't imagine uh, the journey from you know Welcome to Wraith or the very beginning. You know, when James White is like just at the attorney. Yeah, um, yeah. I have funny stories about James White. He's a he's just like I mean, it's incredible because he's just like such a such a figure now, right? He's such a monolith of a, of a human being at this point because the game has become so successful and we've seen it just expand and the design has been perfect. And I don't know, we're just becoming like one of the biggest games in the world. But uh, yeah, when, when I first met James, he was just, you know, obviously flesh and blood was a thing, but he had just come down from New Zealand and setting up this tournament in this like little, this little shop in Austin, Texas, and you flew there with Sasha, and they were like setting, they were kind of like bootleg setting it up the, the day before. And I walked in, and like everything was unorganized. And I, I remember we took him out to took him out to a Tex-Mex place, which is like Texas Mexican food, and we gave him queso, which is like this just melted cheese and chips, and he was losing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. That's hilarious. Yeah. I really, I really love James White because it's just like, right, like the science of capitalism, right, is if, you know, if you sell out a little more and you're slightly more profitable than your, you know, competitor, you just like edge them out, right? And then you become the, the, the single, you know, monopoly. But um, James White has kind of proven that, I guess, the human side of the market or of this community at least exists and that he can like, stick to his priorities right and like or his core values right right and yeah like really um you know stand by those in terms of you know making this game for players in person and supporting like brick and mortar stores and all that and still compete and be like wildly successful and i hope that that continues to be the case because you know it's it's really tough out there trying to make it i'm sure and uh you know just him not really compromising it and doing it anyway uh, is really, you know, really hard. Yeah, those are usually the ones that win in the long game too. Like, um, we all understand like the game of like cutthroat capitalism, and it's like we see it a lot, you know, represented a lot in some of the bigger companies. But the companies that I see become the most wildly successful, the fastest, and that are the smallest are the ones that are just unrelentingly um, tied to their core values and just kind of never really. I don't know, sacrifice those in terms of to get a, to kind of sell out for like a quick buck. Um, the one that comes to my mind is actually team Coven, where they just kind of like ate it for years and years and years on end. And they finally kind of just made it. And despite doing that, they're still some of the most down to earth people I've ever met. And the reason why they do what they do has almost nothing to do with how much money is coming in the bank because of that. Yeah, the money comes in the bank. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, we love yeah. the TC uh, model and those guys and that sort of thing. Um, it was great to meet Zach at Vegas and get to do a little bit of uh, the uh, limited call in se- calling season draft prep uh, with him and you guys. Oh, and, yeah. and that was really cool. Another company I uh, that comes to mind is like Patagonia, right? Mm-hmm. Like their core values are as much a part of their like you know their brand as anything else and like also lead the industry um in in that sort of thing like i think 
it seems to create kind of like a cult following, like, like yep. really, really big fans, you know, like there's definitely those people for flesh and blood and for team covenant and for, you know, Patagonia and stuff. Um, so it's, uh, infectious, right. That's another reason to be in, in flesh and blood is for how much they kind of support the local scene and that sort of stuff. And now recycled materials, it's, it's all great. It's all great moving forward with that sort of yeah. stuff. And those are the ones who get through the hard parts, right? Because they have like a, a vision and they have values so that they're able to go through, you know, like what um, Legend Story did. They launched their game and then in less than a year, there was a COVID-19 and everything shut down. And they're, you know, it was bad. Um, and, you know, they made it through that and they made it through that, through that very well, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, which is crazy, right? Because they didn't, they didn't, they didn't make, they didn't sacrifice anything. They kind of kept printing. They, you know, the crazy thing about Flesh and Blood is it's always been. If you look at the model of Legend Story Studios and Flesh and Blood, it was it was always built to wildly succeed and only to wildly succeed. Mm-hmm. Like everything is built for scale, which is just incredible. Yeah. Like even when COVID hit, they they didn't change. From what I understand, they didn't really change what they're playing to print, how they're playing to operate or anything of that nature. Yeah. And they've always built their model to be just ridiculously successful. Yeah. 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 It's really smart and it's really cool to have that um, foundation to like weather a unprecedented global pandemic and come out mm-hmm. the, the other side, even though we're still very much like uh, in the pandemic as it were. Um couple of other things here transition change change gears a little bit um so as like a content creator right um what do you think like what's in the works like where do you see your channel going and second question i love giving you two questions at once um what is gonna what do you think the future is for other like flesh and blood content creators like outside of just kind of like trying to be uh a youtube person that talks about flesh and blood right does that make sense um kind of like to talk about like so arsenal pass is interesting because um you know it was just really organic and how it started and then we sort of always had the idea that it would scale into something but not into what it did and it's interesting going from doing something that, you know, you kind of were just doing because you were passionate about the game and you just wanted to, you know, talk about it or make a video or something. And then it's, you know, it becomes something else, right? And there's people that follow it and it's part of the routine and, you know, you're now what they call a content creator, which is just a, a, it's funny to, when you finally like, I don't even think of myself as that quite yet, but, um, yeah, and now we're like six, we're like six, seven, eight months down the line, and people are like, "Yeah, what is the future?" It's like, oh, <laughs> it's tough, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. And you know, we, we have been very lucky to be as successful as we were. And I think that, you know, for Hayden and I, it's going to be interesting because we're at, we're definitely at, in very different parts of the world. So the time, the time stuff is pretty, is pretty hard. Although we make it work, but we're also just in different places. I think in our careers so mm-hmm. where it ends up and we're you know we're both at these like these very uh sort of 
interesting ages, right? Like the the pre thirties, early thirties kind of time of your life is like where you either decide decide to do something very different with your life, or you kind of buckle down and double down on what you've been doing, and then proceed to kind of focus with that. So we'll see. I'm not too sure, um, but I think we just kind of take it. Like a, not really a day at a time, but you know, a month at a time. Just trying to recalibrate, adding on new sections, trying to make the Patreon better, trying to make the pod better. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is what we've kind of said since the beginning, and I think it's part of our charm and why people like the podcast is that we're definitely not content creators. We're professional players, and we want to. We both want to become world champion, and that's like our number one. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, not to throw shade on, uh, you know, like I enjoy many different uh, content creators in this game, and they all have like very different flavors. But that's particularly why I like your guys' content, because you are having competitive players making content for competitive players, or, you know, for everyone. But um, it's, uh, you know, uh, like a bit of a rarity, and this game's new, right? We have a lot of, uh, quote, content creators who are very good content creators, you know, adopting flesh and blood. And, you know, again, they make some very valuable content. But, uh, you know, a uh, competitive player turned content creator kind of uh, maybe has like a, a richer history to draw from, at least initially. And so your guys' content has been uh, you know, just, I guess, like very very dense right like, yeah the whole i mean the whole goal is i mean i think that the people who follow arsenal pass and you know listen to it are just on the journey with us to try and win the world championship <laughs> like that's just like that's what it is like that's all we are it's like we don't we obviously spend a lot of time on content creation and we care a lot about you know everybody who follows our stuff and um you know enjoys it but at the end of the day we came into flesh and blood to be competitive and that's like our number one goal. And I think that, you know, although that might sound kind of weird cause it's like, Oh, you're not putting this like channel first and all this stuff. It's not that we don't put it first. It's just, we, we have something that we're striving for. And uh, I actually think it's our core competency. And I think it's why people like us. Well, that's you what, know? yeah, that's what makes your channel good, but it's going to be pretty tough getting through Taylor and I. <laughs> i just it's okay i just have taylor's taylor's job prevent them from being able to <laughs> yeah totally i mean that's one of the things like uh world champion has never been on my radar because of you know the other parts in my life like i'm a little bit older than you in hayden so i'm like in the the trenches already of being past my whatever decision point you talked about um so like for me it was or for me and isaac i'm gonna speak for you for a second isaac is we just wanted to contribute to a game we thought was really cool you know initially and we didn't have a lot going on in our lives when we started the podcast and now it's turned into, you know, a real hobby of ours, making the podcast and that sort of thing. But kind of as our interest in the podcast rose, so did our like interest in 
being competitive, you know, mine maybe a little bit more than Isaac's. Um, but even then it's like capped at being like, I would be happy to be like, just considered like one of the good players. Like, you know, like I don't need to win uh, nationals or anything, but like, I want to be able to go to nationals and like get in the top 32 or whatever, you know, like that's kind of where, you know, my uh, desire ends up. Cause if I put on like that extra level of pressure of like, I got to win nationals, I got to, you know, top eight win worlds. Um, then like those other aspects of my life would suffer a little bit too much. And then the game would like not be as fun for me anymore, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, it's like weird for me. It's like uh, I just really like flesh and blood is in a sense what it's become for me is like meditation, right? And it's just the grind of doing it every single day and trying to just beat on that craft and become better. There's something that's very self-actualizing and peaceful about that for me is like having this routine and this sort of goal that is virtually impossible. And then every day you just try to take that that little step towards the, you know, the millions of steps that it's going to take to get there. And there's something about that that just makes me much more at peace in my day-to-day life is having that routine, having that discipline and just doing things that I don't want to do. <laughs> like I just really, I don't know. I don't enjoy it while I'm doing it, obviously, but I, there's something about that that I just love. Like it's just, it's just the grind and the fact that I'm able to have um, a group of people that I like, a group of people that I consider my friends join me on that journey uh, makes it a very unique and I think a very special experience. Yeah, yeah. I, think you, I think you have a really good attitude about it because it's like, you know, even in this game that mitigates variance, right? Like there's too much variance to be like, all right, I'm going to win nationals, right? Like we're not playing chess. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't kind of hold that high of a bar for yourself, right? But you can, uh, you know, win multiple tournaments or, you know, like, you know, get a PTI or, you know, like whatever. You can uh, definitely have, you know, very competitive goals set. But, um, I, you know, I think it's I think it's good to get joy in the process and like, um, you know, kind of be proud of yourself for your achievements and, you know, things like that. Because, again, it's like, I mean... Everybody wants to win worlds, and for those who put in the work and really want to win worlds, you know that's like definitely a goal. But it's, I think it's important to, you know, you know, like understand that, yeah, you know, there is some variance, and there's like all these other factors and stuff like that. So as long as you perform well, like speaking for myself, um, like Taylor said, you know, he he probably does want to be a little more competitive than I do, but I'm like very self-competitive, right? Like I only play a few classes. I want to be like really fucking good at the game uh, or like at piloting those classes and nationals kind of uh, was a lucky spot for me because it lined up where one of my classes um, was in a good position to compete. But that was like pretty fortunate, right? Because, you know, had it been Bravo, I would have just been like, you know, shit out of luck. So that was, uh, that was a little bit fortunate for me, but I like, for me, I really enjoy the, uh, you know, I enjoy that grind also um, devoting myself, I guess, not to the game as a whole, but to like mastering a few, you know, a few classes and fair lines of play. 
Um, I guess that kind of brings me to, do you think that if you're a high enough level player in this game, do you, do you think that you can adopt and, uh, you know, learn, say, the best deck or whatever in like a month? Or do you think that like true class loyalty, you know, a la Kale McCree, uh, how much of an edge does that give you? Or if you're, you know, the Tarek of the world, you, uh, I think that the, um, the class, yeah, I think the class specialist edge is, um, it's definitely, it exists, right? It's some non-zero percent. I think the better that you become at the game and the more you play, the less that, you know, a hyper specialist would have just like a, an edge on just a very well-rounded and I guess you could say talented player. But that being said, whatever that percent is and whatever it, it it uh, fluctuates to is it kind of depends on the meta depends on where we are has there been a new set release because it's really the specialists that usually innovate <laughs> as well right mm-hmm. um and create kind of the new decks for those classes sometimes but um yeah they definitely do it like when i when the new cars come out for bravo i'm definitely looking at kale's deck but i, I think in terms of raw gameplay uh i feel like raw mechanical gameplay is more like a player based rather than Kind of like a class-based thing, and then you can kind of learn the class from there. Uh, but practice is huge in all of that as well. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Isaac. I don't even know how I would answer that. You know, because it's it it would seem that like class loyalty. I don't know, like yeah, like Brendan said, it depends on the meta, right? Like uh, as the pool of different heroes widens right it becomes like much much harder to just continue to play one hero you know um and then even heroes within the same class like don't even play exactly the same so yeah but it's also hard to play 14 heroes as well right yeah which is which is the counter argument to it and it's be that's becoming more and more of a thing too like right now i mean i would i have played azalea within the past like year plus but i haven't played in the past six months so it's uh you know if i sat across from azalea i know what to uh not want to see from across the board you know what cards <laughs> I, I yeah which cards would you know i'd be trying to maybe play around but ultimately like i wouldn't really know what the deck was doing in terms of its macro strategy and exactly how i was going to counter it my my general approach would probably be like oh yeah my deck is probably just fundamentally favored here so i just play my my plan and be proactive and then we'll see where the game takes us from there yeah it's an interesting thing to think about for sure uh as the game moves forward and the game itself the card pool and heroes get bigger and the player pace player base uh gets bigger it's uh there's just so many questions that i have about the future of the game and I don't even know how to articulate all of them. It'll just be really interesting to see all of those things kind of unfold as we, as we move forward into this next season. Um, With that being said, like what do you kind of see? Like we know a few things about the OP structure for next year, but um, what are your kind of thoughts about, you know, what's going to happen and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think that we'll get 
I'm just going to side with one of the estimates I heard, which was 30 callings. That was because of some other number they had quoted, but worldwide. Um, my hope is that they cluster them. There is a definitely a positive and negative to clustering callings. Um, the positive is, is like if they do a calling in Europe, let's say in Germany, if they cluster it with another on the next weekend, you can go to one in the Netherlands the next weekend. You maybe wait the weekend after that. You're in France. Like that's really ideal for a player like myself that would travel. Um, but it's also a downside because it can just be, you know, your region has like a sprint of competitive callings and then it's kind of just not on anymore. And it, it, it's bad for players that maybe, you know, are busy during those weeks because it's their, it's their busy season or they just don't want to grind every single weekend for five weekends and um, you know, they want to more spread out. So I hope they cluster it just because that makes traveling a lot easier. And um, despite how much of a grind the U.S. Uh, calling circuit was this year, I did like really enjoy it. But I also think that I just enjoy suffering a little bit more than other people so <laughs> yeah. i wouldn't really take my word for it um i'm hoping you know a couple of you know we got our callings for the year we get a couple of pro tours and then we have world championships um that's really what i want to be accomplished yeah for i mean for me and i think me and isaac are kind of in a minority being competitive players that live in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. um like I, I would love to see some more stuff just on the West Coast in the major cities. Like, let's get something in like the Bay Area, uh, Portland. I'd even travel to Seattle, you know, just kind of like have some stuff happen like that. Like it be more uh, regional based. I don't really care the time frame, but um, like if if we get another calling in Vegas, like I think that's a thing. But then like. You know, maybe we do get one like in the Pacific Northwest. That would be really great too. They'll definitely do that region. Like the West Coast was underserved this year, but that was like, I mean, most states were uh, more tight on COVID than the other ones, right? Yeah, Especially the yeah. South and then the East, definitely the Southeast. Um, so I think that was mostly COVID related because West Coast is really kind of a more of a mecca for <laughs> card games, especially when we talk like Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, as yeah. Well. Watsy being in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think there's a yeah. I think there's also the factor that we don't like for most people living most places, it's like a sixty dollar plane ticket to go to anywhere, right? So like but for us geographical proximity matters a little more. <clears throat> you know. But like if you live in Orlando, it's just like it doesn't really matter where you go. Just buy a yeah. cheap plane ticket and get on. So. Yeah, I mean, I live in Dallas, so it doesn't get much better than that for central yeah. location and travel. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. In the U.S. Uh, uh, I have a question uh, yeah. that you might have already answered, but so what deck would you take to New Zealand or Australian Nats? Is it Viserai? Yeah, it's Viserai. And so does Viserai beat Oldham? Yeah. <laughs> combo super tall? Sort of. Um, it depends, but effectively, yes. Right? It just combos off of Oldham. Uh, I think that it beats everything in the meta, actually. Uh, and we haven't even changed the deck very much, like, at all. The thing is that the gameplay is just so dynamic. It's it's actually ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not even dynamic based off the card pool. Like, the cards that you sub in and sub out definitely matter a lot, but just the way you play the game is so... in. Like, you have so many fundamental like different ways of playing like the macro game, which is crazy. 
and obviously the the micro play of Viscera is very complicated um, mm -hmm. and very, I, don't know, I guess you would say, very finessey or whatever. The, I don't know what that would word. That's definitely not a word in the English language, but if it was, that's what it would be. Um, there's a lot of skill to the micro, yeah, and there's a lot of lines. It heavily rewards, I think, uh, creativity that deck and practice. Does it? Yeah, does that... it be ice, Lexi? Um, I don't know. We haven't tested it. I would assume yes. Well, I was just, like, so I haven't, I haven't, or Taylor and I played the other day. Um, I got what? Yeah, but I we haven't played the super tall viscerize strategy, right? You weren't like building forever, but then like Lexi also pressures you on your, the turn you want to pivot. So anyway, this is all just theory. We, we don't really know, but yeah, yeah. So I was just curious. Like not Nine D reacts there. Like if you run the nine D react back at you the six, and then you can be pretty defensive and just kind of build up. And See, I haven't played a, it. Yeah, that's the that's what got me in trouble. Is I sided in my D reacts, but then I just had frostbite. So now for like yeah, a, yeah a zero for four, just I gotta out. pay for one. Yeah, exactly. That was my next I game. I haven't plan. played the the matchup. I honestly I saw the D reacts almost out of every single matchup. The thing is, like the weird thing about the Viseride deck is that there's another play in our group that will almost always tend to combo and like OTK, where I almost always tend to play tempo unless I have to combo to yeah, win. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I I mean, my list right now is is closer to uh, Hamish's list than it is Matt Rogers' list. Um, so in some matchups, you know, I'm looking to kind of get a ninth blade off and kind of combo off of that. Uh, kind of like that's my pivot turn um, rather than doing something uh, insane with Sonata, um, which that also happens as well. But just, um, yeah, kind of a uh, difference of preference, I think. Do you, do you run into, so right, like this is a deck, right? Like if you're playing, you know, Leviathan, into a hyper-efficient deck, right? Maybe your favorite, but it's kind of your game to lose because there's a lot of points that you can make a mistake, right? So yeah, in this yeah, yeah. deck, is this like a high-skilled, right? Like, so if you're playing like 10 rounds of Swiss, if there's a buttload yeah. of decision points for you, um, you know, that's going to make it, you know, X percent more likely for you to fail, right? Because you're going to make that mistake sort of. Yeah. So I think there's a um actually no. So I think there's a lot of decisions, but the deck is very forgiving. Where like if you, the deck like chain was just not forgiving at all. You made one mistake, you lost the game. No chance. You lose like hundred percent. Um where like Viscerai, I've definitely felt like I've misplayed certain turns, still been able to kind of just pull it out and you know, I've come I've you know played like tempo and then realized like the tempo wasn't going to win and started comboing really late in the game and ended up winning because I perfectly stacked my deck and hit a perfect Sonata and had the right cards to go just wide enough. Um, and I just think the deck has more margins for error than some of the really tight decks like Leviah and Chain and some others that are you know probably Kano as well. So it is a very high skill deck, but I think that you know you don't have to play 100% optimally every time to win every game where like with chain and the fatigue it felt like you had to play 90 to 100 percent every time or you just lost so you had <laughs> you had the you had the good side of being able to win you know with a 90 to 90 percent you know 
advantage, but if you messed up, you lose. Yeah, totally. Like you can see that in uh, the Hong Kong Nats playback, right? Like the chain player gets a little loose with his, uh, you know, the resources that the deck overall has and gets blizzarded and, uh, you know, has like really struggles to make that Urser token and winds up, you know, pulling it out there, but it, it, it gets, it gets dicey against fatigue for sure. Everything Mm -hmm. matters. Yep. Um, okay, cool. Isaac, you got any uh, burning questions before we get into kind of our signature segments? I kind of wanted to talk to Brendan about NFTs, but I feel like that maybe is too deep of a rabbit hole for tonight. Um, it is a rabbit hole for sure. Start our NFT podcast and uh, have it back. <laughs> uh, I'm, so, I'm so deep down that rabbit hole. Ridiculous. Uh, we uh, we do have a number of listener questions, but we are running out of time here. So I'm just going to ask the first question we got at the top of the list. Um, Mike asks, what's your favorite card? Yeah, so my favorite card is um, Chains of Eminence. I just Ooh, think that it's I a card. I thought you were going to say Drone of Brutality. <laughs> <laughs> there is, that card was interesting, but it was also terrible. <laughs> um yeah, definitely change the eminence because the utility of that card just scales with the game as more cards get added and more strategies get developed. And it's the perfect card to counter to counter like a theoretically very narrow meta or a meta that's centered around a certain a very specific interaction of cards or maybe a single card like Drone of Brutality. Like Chains of Eminence is very good for Drone of Brutality. So the creativity of um, Chains of Eminence and its use case in the meta um, this sort of has like an infinite kind of cap. And I think that that's really interesting. So we'll see. And it, it's a, it's a card that I think was created to make unhealthy formats healthy. While it's not been, you know, effective enough in the past, there may be a time when it, it is. Do you think uh, creepersing it on your opponent's turn is ever going to become like a strategy? <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's interesting. I haven't thought about doing it, but there is no like there's no persistent strategy that I could think of where I'd want to do that against my opponent. But again, I've only I've been mostly jamming Viscerai into um, all of the really popular stuff right, right. now. Totally. We're just trying to prepare the deck for these nationals. It was just like a silly thing I thought of the other day. Was like, oh yeah, I could like block with an attack and then like. I don't know, chains of imminence right on top of that (laughs) as an instant and screw their turn, I guess. I don't know. And break my creepers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's get into our signature segments. Are you guys ready for that? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So, uh, Brendan, I believe you are familiar with our segment Pick, Pass, Prey. Is this correct? Acquainted, yes. Yeah, okay, great. So I'm going to give you three cards. I'm going to read them out. You're going to pick – you're going to get the first round of picks here. Um, You're going to pick one card for your pick, one that you're going to pass, and one that you pray comes back around. Are you ready? This is a draft scenario. Ready. Okay. First card up is Plume of Evergrowth. It is a Earth Equipment headpiece. It blocks for zero. And it has an instant ability. You pay three, destroy Plume of Evergrowth, return target Earth action card or Earth instant card from your graveyard 
to your hand. Our second card is Ball Lightning Yellow. It is a lightning attack action. It pitches for two, costs zero, attacks for two, and defends for zero. Whenever a lightning or elemental action card would deal damage this combat chain, instead it deals that much damage plus one. Go again. All right. And the third and final card this evening is Channel Thunderstep. It is a lightning action aura. It pitches for two, costs one, and defends for three. And it reads, go again. Whenever you play an action card, you may pay one resource. If you do, it gains go again. Channel lightning. And then that is a keyword, which means at the beginning of your end phase, put a flow counter on channel thunderstep, then destroy it unless you put a lightning card from your pitch zone on the bottom of your deck for each flow counter on it. So, Brendan, which one are you going to pick? Which one are you going to pass? Which one are you going to pray comes back around? Uh, it's interesting because I've never played with Channel Thunderstep in Limited, but um, I'm definitely picking Plume of Evergrowth. I think that that's like a slam pick, especially if it's a to pick one. It's a really good card in both Briar um, and Oldham. And yeah, I'm just probably one of the best cards in that format. So I slam pick Plume anytime I can. It can get you out of, it can you know, help you with offensive plays, but also help you in defensive situations as well. Um, so really good card. Always going to pick, probably pick Plume of Evergrowth on this, most things in a pack. And then Channel Thunderstep. I can't remember if I think that card kind of blows or not. <laughs> I feel like I do, but then when you read it, I was like, oh, maybe there's a use case for this. But So the blocks for three, which is great, and Briar. Um, I'm trying to think about the use case in Lexi. It's probably good in Lexi. Um, but I think, I mean, I think that's going to be my pass. Uh, just because Ball Lightning Yellow is pretty effective in both Briar and Lexi. That being said, I do think Ball Lightning Yellow is the worst Ball Lightning. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Ball Lightning is just a very strong card in this format, and you know, it's pretty easy to slot into most uh, Briar and or uh, Lexi shell. So I'm going to pick the Plume of the Other Grove, pass the Thunderstep, and pray that the um, Ball Lightning comes back around. Awesome. Isaac? Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to pick Bloom uh, for all the same reasons, right? It, like, it helps you if you're playing as Fatigue, or it helps you if you're playing against Fatigue, or, you know, it helps mulligan your hand at a high cost. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, it, it's just, like, really versatile. Um, performs really well. I think that I'm going to pray Channel Thunderstep to back around. Um, not so good in Lexi, but in Briar, it's like for a blue, you can play it, play any one cost or zero cost attack, pay for go again, and then pay for Rosetta. I'm like a huge fan of things that turn on Rosetta. Um, mm -hmm. And then if you're really lucky and you pitched a blue lightning card for this turn, you get to do it again next turn. Um, you have to play another non-attack action, but... Um, also with embodiments, right, it can like block for four maybe or whatever um, I think that just the fact that it blocks for three and kind of pitches like you don't always need a blue and briar 
think that it might be pretty good. That said, I'm kind of kicking myself because Ball Lightning also has auto go again, so it's pretty mean um, in Briar as well. Uh, it can also be pretty good in Lexi with the uh, you know combo and the shipper, and like you can proc proc the fused arrow twice, its hit effect, and like get another damage in just because your next attack guarantees dominate. Um, but we're uh, sticking with Channel Thunderstep, I think. All right, on to the next one. Uh, well, I, yeah, I think you for sure slam plume, right? Like, uh, for every Brendan's messing with the like UI. Brendan, do you have something here. to say? Yeah. <laughs> He's bored. He's bored. I just I didn't know what it did, and I was like, oh, that's so convenient. There's a little there's a little hand button. To yeah, totally. raise your hand. You can raise your hand if we had a bunch of guests on. <laughs> um uh yeah so plume no hands down pick it like i don't even know like what's the other thing like maybe if yeah it pack one pick one plume for sure the only other reason you wouldn't do that is if it was like pack three and you get it gets past you pick three and you're already heavily in lexi you know and you already got a honing hood that's like the only reason maybe not to pick it um i would say early in the meta or like the release of tales i would have been like yeah channel, channel thunderstep like we could uh pitch our deck perfectly and then just like blow our opponent out with this uh thunderstep situation but that is like not the case in the format like unless you're playing against old time you like aren't going to see that thunderstep again, you know, basically. So it's, it's, um, it's upside is, is not as great as ball lightning, which has like multiple combos with two different classes to where you can just like win the game with it. That's like a lot easier to just move into. So pick plume, pray for ball lightning and pass on thunderstep. That's, that's what I got. All right. Glad we disagreed. <laughs> well, I agreed with Brendan, you know, only basically because he's wearing a tank top. I know you guys won't be able to see the, the video part of this, but uh, Brendan is sleeveless and uh, it's pretty exciting. Gotta say. All right, Isaac, what's our next segment? Oh, here at the attack action podcast, we'd like to play many different board games. Flesh and Blood is not the only board game we play. Today's uh, board game from the closet is Brendan's pick. Now, this may not be his uh, favorite board game or the best board game in the world, but it's one that he would like to share with you guys and you will enjoy as well. Brendan? What would you guys say if I told you that I did, I had never played like a board game or anything like that? Would you believe me? Yes. No, no way. You definitely <laughs> played like shoots and ladders or something. Uh, <laughs> That's I'm not definitely a board game. Those don't yeah. count. I'm definitely the kind of person that only plays like that one. I don't know. Just not a fun person. I don't have friends. But there's a game called Sky Tear. Um, I found out about it through Tim Bunn. Um, he's the reigning world champion, apparently, and they're actually competing for it in like seven days. He's going to be defending his title. But it is like a MOBA deck building card game with miniatures, which is a, a whole, you know, vomit of 
buzzwords, but it's freaking <laughs> amazing. It's so good. Oh my goodness. It's super fun. Um, the match, it, like if I was doing the kind of like the beer taste on it, I would say that it's like, you know, there's a, there's a hint of miniatures there while there's, you know, there's a very powerful aroma of deck building and card games. And, you know, it's got a very thick body of, um, building your deck. <laughs> no, it's just, it's a really good game, right? Like it, it is like a, mo- it is about as close as you can get to like an actual mobile game in like a card game format or, um, deck building miniature all that kind of stuff and there's all these different heroes and stuff and these different regions that do very um kind of very specific things and it's really fun um it's one of the coolest games i've played in like a long time and i'm absolutely hooked on it i played it for a few weeks and then you know i bought everything they had <laughs> awesome Sounds yeah familiar. it's it's the, it's the yeah. type of game that isaac would absolutely own me at like it's got all of these things and all of this different strategy and this grand game plan. And Isaac has just like a gigantic brain that can think about all of those things at the same time. I think that's why he likes playing Leviah and Ranger. And uh, for me, I would just like definitely lose to Isaac every single time. So <laughs> it's going to be a great game for you, Isaac. So we're not signing up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I can't take that. Can't take that much losing to you in my life. Be too hard on me. Um, I did want to ask you. I think that's a great pick, by the way, Brendan. Have you played it? No, but I I was like so close to getting it, like early in the pandemic, and like watching Team Covenant play it a lot. You know, I'm just like I don't have the uh background in mobas Uh, and i was like uh i don't really get it in that regard but all the other stuff like the deck building and the unit choices and the like game decisions and stuff seemed really cool it's sweet i would caveat by saying it's not like a the kind of board game that you bring to like a a board game night or to like your family's house it's uh it's easy to pick up i guess right but um, it's definitely extremely deep, and uh, yeah, the better players win most of the time. By board game, we just mean like literally anything. That yeah, I just worry that someone would get. I just worry that someone would get Sky Terror and then would like try to get their little bro- brother to play with them and just like cream them over and over again. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just That's assume that if they're, if they're listening to our podcast, uh, you know. They'd probably be on board game geek watching a video about it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, before we do let you go, I forgot at the top of the show to ask you uh, your three most interesting facts about yourself. Um, Famously, we asked uh, your co-host Hayden Dale this question and we found out that he is a competitive uh, like Lindy Hop dancer, rock and roll dancer. Um, so, uh, what do you got in your bag that rivals dance man? Oh, yeah. That's wild. Um, so gosh, I love how it's like, yeah, we'll ask you a bunch of questions. Just roll with it throughout. We don't need to show them to you before in the end. It's like, what's your three most interesting facts? Like, oh goodness. Um, so I've lived in obviously a few places in the United States, not obviously, but I'll tell you. Uh, so Texas and California, but I also lived in Bangkok, Thailand and Moscow, Russia. And then I was also living in 
um, Istanbul, Turkey back in November 2020, well, actually for a couple of months, starting November. And yeah, I had a history of just kind of like picking up and then just engrossing myself in a completely different culture and different world. And that was like my thing for a while. It only stopped because I had like some medical issues come up. But yeah, that was kind of weird. Um, in college, I played D1 rugby for like four years. And I feel like that's not very interesting. But I also had like this like long mane of hair like down to my <laughs> down to my shoulders i've seen uh, the did. i've seen the photos on on the socials yeah i had the rugby flow yeah um awesome these are great it was my third interesting fact oh, man uh Amazing. you won you won four road to nats while hayden was off rock dancing yeah <laughs> Rock and roll dancing, <laughs> not rock dancing. Hayden's gonna tweet you and be like, "Bro, come so on, I had, to, I had to get a Hayden it's rock and roll." Got the yeah. whole cast that get Hayden somehow. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I think in topic with the pod and just like the game, uh, even though we already talked about it, uh, Flesh and Blood really is my first card game, which yeah. I know is surprising to like a lot of people that I talk to. That's cool, man. I'm not surprised. You're you're uh, a disciplined young man, so it, it, young it, man. it, it makes sense. Um, do you have uh, like sweet rugby drinking songs that you want to <laughs> regale us with? Yeah, if you want to get demonetized from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, <laughs> You know, maybe we'll we'll have to figure out a way for you to serenade us while we film Hayden <laughs> dancing. That's kind yeah. of maybe the the ultimate uh, maneuver right there that we're gonna have to figure out how to make that happen. I don't know if rugby songs are a stereotype, but if they are, it's a very accurate stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, uh, my freshman year, one of my best friends roommates i guess or kind of was on the women's rugby team so as a underaged person uh i was definitely at many rugby house parties and it, oh, it's goodness. it's what a culture yeah <laughs> and, and the university i went to in colorado had like a rugby alumni alumni night and uh the bar scene was also out of control there's nothing like 40 year olds reliving their uh heyday in rugby on the field and then going for it late at night too it was freaking so that's so funny because that's such a thing it's ridiculous (laughs) i know (laughs) it's pretty wild great game rugby actually this is funny this is so many tangents right here but i started watching a ton of rugby uh during road to nat season because i thought it would be I was like, oh, this is funny. Like the game's made in New Zealand. I'll just watch a bunch of like old All Blacks World Cup games to like get myself freaking ready. And then I went, you know, and then I just went like undefeated in my first road to Nat. So there could be a little secret sauce in <laughs> watching some World Cup All Blacks games. Just saying. There's a little extra tidbit for the listeners. I didn't know you did that. That's pretty fun. Totally. Rugby's a freaking sweet game, dude. I freaking love it. It's so cool. At first you watch it and you're like, there are no rules. 
there aren't any rules in this game. I don't know what's happening. And then you like totally you peel back the layers, as it were. Yeah. A lot of depth to it. Yeah. Totally. Well, Brendan, I want to thank you for being on. Uh, is there anything you want to plug, uh, you know, in terms of your socials, your podcast? I, lo- I know you like to shout out your YouTube page, etc. So, Yeah, so if you're looking to pick up Sky Terror, my friends over at Team Covenant have it for sale. So that's always a great place to pick it up. They are actually the exclusive distributor if you want to get any of the new releases, so... Shout out to Team Covenant. They hooked me up as well. And Sky Terror is a fantastic game. I just want to give a shout out to, let's think, both <laughs> Hayden Dale and Dan McKay because they have their nationals coming up. Um, really excited for them to hopefully win their nationals in their respective countries and take down the nationals for our testing teams. We haven't gotten one yet, unfortunately. So I need to get one to hang on the wall. And. Just a shout out to all the listeners and thank you so much for having me on. It's always a blast. Always a pleasure talking to you guys. And I really hope that enough changes in 2022 that I will be able to see much, much more of you. Yeah, same. Yeah, for sure. And anytime, you know, you or Hayden want to just come hang out at the house, you just let me know. We'll just have like a <laughs> invite only on the on the orchard up here. Yeah. You know. Just get really crazy, <laughs> crazy with it. We always end our podcast on a strong note. Yeah, totally. I, you know, you can just imagine it now. We're like pressing cider by day, then the afternoon pick up rugby game, and then afterwards Hayden's doing a victory dance, you know, and then we're playing some flesh and blood in the evening, you know. Sounds great, yeah. right? It's getting wild out in the wilderness of what is it? <laughs> Northern California. Yeah, totally. Well, great. Well, that's our show. Thanks, everybody. Brendan, thank you again. I had a I had a really great time. And, uh, you know, hopefully see you again in the future, my friend. <laughs> Goodbye. Good night. What a great function. <laughs>